Thanks so much, Ken, for those words of how the Lord has worked in your life and how his amazing grace has changed your life and through you changed the lives of others. Chris, thank you too for your musical contribution to our worship tonight. Uh, I was thinking tonight as I was getting ready for things, what, you know, in seminary they teach you a lot of really good stuff, but they don't teach you what the really hardest parts of ministry will be. It turns out the thing that they don't teach you, the very hardest part about ministry is preaching to a group after dinner. <laughs> but that is my task here tonight. What I'm going to do is uh, be preaching from uh, the 22nd Psalm, kind of picking up on what we didn't speak about on Sunday. Um, and so what I'm going to do is, is read from that 22nd Psalm, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read just specifically the parts that we're going to talk about tonight, leaving out the parts that we talked about on Sunday. And, and you might call this sermon Tried and Trusting. Now we have a saying, tried and true, which means that, that we've, we've tried something out, we've, we've checked it to see how it works, and it's turned out to work out okay. Uh, when I say tried and trusting, I mean something a little bit different than that. I mean tried as in gone through trials, faced difficulties, and the trusting is what we are called to do even in the face of those difficulties. So follow along with me if you can in Psalm 22 and I'll try to lead you where I'm going. We'll read first of all from the first five verses. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear in, in the night season and am not silent, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. In verse 9, you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth from my mother's womb. You have been my God. And then jumping down to verse 19. O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. Let us pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that we can cry out to you. And we thank you that you do indeed hear our voice. Speak to us now through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last Sunday when we talked about this psalm, we touched on a, a couple different things. One of those was that we ought to remember that when we read this psalm, we ought not to hear just the voice of David, but also we should hear the voice of Christ. Perhaps even primarily, we ought to hear the voice of Christ speaking to us in this psalm. And in this psalm, we have an example which gives us not only permission to cry out to God when we feel forsaken, when we feel left, when we feel abandoned, but it actually sets a pattern for us to follow when we feel that way. 
And in so doing, you might recall that we talked on Sunday about how this psalm teaches us to cry out to God honestly, expressing our deepest thoughts and feelings. And now tonight, we see that it calls us to cry out to God, hopefully, remembering his past faithfulness. First, we want to look at his faithfulness toward others. In verses 3 through 5, it talks about how, God, you are holy and throned on the praises of Israel. Now, he's not saying that you are made to be a king because of those praises, but rather he is saying that, that God's royalty, his kingship is made manifest through the praises of his people. That is, as they proclaim his praises, his majesty is proclaimed, and it is seen because of those praises. And this is one of the reasons that we are to proclaim the praises of God, not just so that we might ourselves be reminded of his greatness, but also so that those around us might also catch a glimpse of his majesty, so that we can be a city on a hill that is not hidden. And in verses 4 and 5, we see the reason given for those praises, why they were issued forth. He says that our fathers trusted, they trusted, they cried, and they trusted three times. They trusted, they trusted, they trusted. They trusted, and God delivered them. Notice, in the middle of these three trusted, there is that one other verb, they cried out. It's not a cry just totally absent from any context. It is in the context of their trust, their faith, their dependence, their reliance on God, the relationship that they have with him. That is the context of that cry. And they cried out to him knowing that his deliverance was tied to their trust. And they could trust him, they knew. Because it's not just the amount of faith that matters, but rather the object in which we place our faith. Just the other day I saw two kids walking around on a pond it had been frozen over. Would have been some story if it hadn't, huh? But it was frozen over and they were walking around on it. And uh, the reason it was able to hold them up was not because of the great faith they had in its ability to hold them up, but rather it was in the strength of the ice. They just needed to have just enough faith to get them out on the ice. Once they were out there, it was the ice's strength that made the difference. That's kind of how it is with, with God, because, because if they go out there again in a couple weeks, or may, I don't know, maybe today even, it's kind of warm, they go out on that ice, they could be totally confident, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that it's going to hold them. But if it's not strong, it will not hold them. And so we see with God... It doesn't matter that we have great, incredible amounts of faith if it's in the wrong God. What matters is that our faith be placed in the one true and living God. And that is what we see here from David's forefathers, that they trusted in the God of their fathers, and he is the right God. He is the strong and mighty and powerful God, and he is our God. And so we can trust in him too. David reminds God here of his past faithfulness to his fathers. 
And Charles Spurgeon says that we may remind the Lord of his former loving kindness to his people and beseech him to be still the same. This is true wrestling. Let us learn this art. He is absolutely right. Let us learn this art to wrestle with God, to remember his past faithfulness, to remind him of it, and then to count on his faithfulness in the future. We have many ways, don't we, to remember this faithfulness. We can, we can read Christian biographies and see how God has worked in the lives of those who have come before us. We can, of course, be involved here at church where we can see what God is doing in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why it's important not just to to listen to a sermon on the radio or to uh, just sing songs listening to a CD. Uh, these various elements of worship are good on their own, but, but there is a need for us to become involved with our church family, to interact with one another so that we can learn from them and they can learn from us, so that we can serve them and they can be served, they can serve us. We need to be involved. And we, of course, can remember God's faithfulness to the people of the past by reading it in his word. We can see the many great and wonderful examples of how God has saved and delivered his people. And as we see these, we are encouraged to trust in him as well. Now, when I say trust in God, I don't want to give the wrong sense. There are some who would tell you that, that all you need to do is just kind of have this easy believism, it might be called, just Kind of say, oh, I believe in God. And that's it. And it doesn't change your life. And you don't go on from there with anything different. And that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a change in your heart where God reaches in and makes a difference. And how do you get that change? It's just like Ken said. It's not something that you do. It's something that God does. And David speaks about this in verses 9 and 10, doesn't he? He says in, in verse 9, you made me trust you at my mother's breast. He says, from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Now, what was it in David that made him look to God as his God when he was in his mother's womb? What was it that made him trust God when he was at his mother's breast? Of course, it was the Spirit of God moving in his life, causing him to trust in God when he didn't even know what trust was. Now, that sounds to me like it would be impossible. How could somebody do that? And I'm reminded of the words of Scripture, where Christ, referring to something else, said, with man, that is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so, indeed, we see that faith, and the salvation that comes by faith is a gift of grace given to us by God. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one may boast. It is God's gift to us, not something we do. Because we trust in God, we can cry out to him. We must cry out to him. John Calvin says that he who pretends that he trusts in God and yet is so listless and indifferent under his calamities that he does not implore his aid lies shamefully. We must cry out to God. We cry out to him honestly, expressing 
our deepest thoughts and feelings. We cry out to him, hopefully remembering his past faithfulness. We cry out to him humbly, trusting in him alone for deliverance. We take that good gift of faith that he has given us, that trust, and we exercise it in him. Just like David in verse 19 says, do not be far off. But then in verses 20 and 21, he talks about the dog and the lion and the wild ox. And you'll recall from last Sunday, these are the same beasts that he and the preceding verses had talked about how they were surrounding him. And here we have a strange thing happens. There's an abrupt change at the end of verse 21. In the Hebrew, it's actually just one word. He's for all these many verses built up to how bad it is, how terrible it is. Save me, save me, deliver me, help me. And now he says, you have answered me. It is a word of faith. It is a word of trust. It is a word of confidence. Because he knows that God has delivered him from danger. He knows that God has heard his prayer. And God is good. It's important to remember the psalmist cried out and God delivered him. But finally, this deliverance isn't just some kind of self-improvement, but this is salvation we're talking about. Too often, our culture thinks of religion in terms, and I fear that even within the church, we sometimes think of religion in terms that say it's just a moral improvement society. We get together and try to help each other live better lives, be nicer to our neighbors, help out other people, and that's what the church is all about. This is not what the church is all about. You see, because just being nicer, being better, won't get the job done because we still fall short of the perfect example of God. And God, though a loving God, is also a righteous God. And in his righteous judgment comes wrath. That's the beauty of the gospel in this psalm. Franz Dalich, speaking about this psalm, said, Out of the infinite depth of his experience of wrath, which in his case rests on no mere appearance but the sternest reality, comes the cry of his complaint, which penetrates the wrath and reaches God's Love. You see, the cross is where God's holiness met God's love. And sin and death and Satan were defeated. That's why we remember that Jesus did cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that was not his only prayer on that day. He prayed also, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He prayed to his Father that he might forgive those who crucified him. And I tell you today that those who crucified him are you and me, because it was our sin that necessitated him being placed on that cross. And he prayed, Father, forgive them. And ultimately he prayed, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
And if we too are found united with Christ, then we too are committed to God. And in the ultimate judgment, we will not be seen by God for the sin that we have committed, for the wretchedness and the ugliness that we bring, but rather we will be seen clothed in the righteous robes of Christ. For when God looked at Christ on the cross, he saw the sinfulness of man. So now, on Judgment Day, when God judges us, if we find ourselves clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we will not have to cry out ourselves, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But rather, we will cry out praises to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So let us remember from this passage that we can cry out to God honestly, remembering his past faithfulness and trusting in him alone for deliverance. Let us pray. Lord God, we do trust in you and you alone. We trust in your faithfulness that you have promised to deliver us from sin. You've cleansed us in the righteousness of Christ. You have made us your children. And so we long for that day now instead of fearing it. We look forward to it instead of dreading it. And we can truly say right now from the depths of our hearts, come Lord Jesus. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Please join with me now in singing our closing hymn, number 139, Great is Thy Faithfulness.